Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynette, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Today is Friday, September the 18th, 2020. Today we are continuing our study of Bill's story on page six, the second paragraph, the mind and body. Today's readers are the 12 steps, Lauren N., 12 Traditions, Anita L., and readers of the text, Susan H., Melissa C., and Tenzin P. The share ID for Thursday, September the 17th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 15375, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 15377. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lauren N. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Lauren. Press star one to unmute. Are you there, Lauren? Okay, we seem to have lost Lauren Tenzin P. Do you have the 12 steps of handy there? Can I be heard? Yes, you can be heard. Yes. Okay. All right. How about I read the 12 steps then since we don't have a reader? Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Lynn, do you want me to take it? Pardon me? Go ahead, Lynn. 
six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And Anita L., would you read the 12 traditions, please? Yes. Good morning, everybody. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only.
Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except for the speakers should be muted. Today we're resuming our study of Bill's story on page six, the second paragraph, the mind and body. And Susan H., would you read for us, please? Good morning. This is Susan H. in Ohio. I am a recovered compulsive overeater and very grateful to be here. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, for mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weekly. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. Um, What this paragraph talks to me about is the mental and physical suffering that he was doing. It seems like his bottom was stretched out for quite a while. He was able to to endure two more years of that. And uh, I, uh, my physical and mental suffering, while not exactly like Bill's, <laughs> it was slower growing and went on for many more years, many, many more years. I was in my 60s. Um, I, what, what strikes me is then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I'd burst through my window. Uh, the night when my physical and mental torture was at a peak was uh, after work. After work, being on my feet all evening, probably at 60, and eating candy all evening, and the pain in the car. <laughs> As I, as I drove up in front of my house and I cried and I cried and I'm not usually a crier like that, but I felt so powerless. And of course, I kind of, I, I, I knew I had to stop. I could see the physical consequences. Uh, framing this with humor, which I tended to do, that maybe if I sit in the car and honk, my husband will drag me in the house. He certainly couldn't carry me. Um, I could point to millions of things that caused my pain. And I was mostly blaming coworkers. I was blaming my age. I was blaming how physically 
demanding my job was. But the truth is, I spent hours on my feet at 240 pounds at that point and ate candy most of the evening. And, and I had to admit, it was mine. I couldn't grasp yet that I didn't have to live like this. Um, I was going to OA meetings, and I, I, just, I just wasn't getting it. I just didn't grasp that I did not have to live like this. So my weight continued to rise, and I continued to suffer. And uh, I, had, I had to come to a desperation point. Uh, I had to come to the bottom. And where I found the bottom was where I stopped digging. I didn't know what else to do. I gave my name as a newcomer on a vision for you. And uh, I was able to be taken, helped, guided through the steps by a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, by reading the book. It's a textbook. Who knew? Who knew? Um, I'm so very grateful for my journey. I'm so very grateful that this journey doesn't, you don't get there and then you're done. I learn and relearn what what is to be given what is to be given to me every day and i could not be more grateful about my journey thanks for letting me share i pass thank you susan h the line is now open for sharing on what we just read although we value your experience we ask that you limit your share to every third day so that others may share their experience too so if you shared yesterday or the day before, please step back and let others have their turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Melissa C. Amy B. Johan N. Cheryl A. Larry K. Okay, let me just tell you who I had before I miss everybody. Okay, I got Melissa C, uh, Anita B, maybe, Johan, Nessa R, Sharon, and Larry K. So that's who I heard. Let's start with that lineup, and you can correct me if I got your name wrong. So Melissa C, could you start for us, please, followed by Anita B? Hi, thanks, Lynn. It's Melissa Say, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, you know, our bodies and minds are marvelous mechanisms. And um, and I read that, I think, like, I heaped such abuse on my body. You know, like, I filled it with um, things that I can't even call food today. Like, I just never read labels other than scanning for calories, you know. So... I can't believe sometimes, um, you know, how long a list of ingredients are in something that seems like it should be a simple food. And I ate, like, tremendous amounts of diet foods, which are, like, pure chemical, drank diet soda, and still I ate myself, you know, up to over 300 pounds. And 
so that like walking from my kitchen, you know, to the bedroom was exhausting. It felt like Mount Everest to come up those stairs and, you know, and still like my body continued to take that abuse like for years. And, you know, but I reached a point that my mind was being affected and, and that got like more of my attention and still I endured that torture for more time than, than you would think, right? I couldn't think straight, and I feared, I really thought I was losing my mind, that I was going mad, and that's physical mental torture. Um, you know, knowing what you're supposed to do, and on the other hand, you just can't do it. I just couldn't do it. And, you know, and then when it mentions Bill stealing from his wife's slender purse, I think, okay, so it's enough that it's like your body's taking this abuse, your mind is taking this abuse, but now your values and your morals are also being um, compromised. And that's what it means to be an addict, that you're unable to live within the boundaries of your own moral codes. You know, I couldn't respect the very values that I believed in. And, you know, for me, I don't think I set out to be a thief. Like, I know stealing is wrong. I really believe it's wrong. And But I stole right? I stole food. I, I stole food from coworkers. I stole food from housemates that I lived with. Um, like I know right from wrong, but food owned me. And I would compromise all of my values, all of my morals, my body, my health, my well-being to satisfy the master, right? That was my master. And, you know, um, I think like, oh, what a beautiful miracle is how like, this marvelous mechanism of my body. It's like God-given um, gift to hold my soul. It responded as soon as I began to treat it with just the slightest compassion and care. And, and, you know, and that's the beautiful thing. We do recover. Our values are restored as well and our sanity. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Johan B., it's your... Sorry, Amy B., it's your turn, followed by Johan N. Please go ahead, Amy. Good morning. This is Amy B. May I be heard? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for hearing my name and calling on me. This is Amy B., very grateful, recovered, compulsive eater in New York. Thank you so much for your service and everyone for doing service on this incredible call. Um, The line in this paragraph that sticks out for me is cursing myself for a weakling. I think of one particular time after having lost and gained an incredibly large amount of weight for not the first or even the second time, and I had gained it back, and I was back over 300 pounds, and um, I, I, I tried again, and I was on had an elliptical machine that had been a clothes hanger in my house for years, but I decided to pull the clothes off it because I was worthless and I needed to hurt myself because I was, I had done it again. I was cursing myself for a weakling. I got on the elliptical and in my head was a running nonstop diatribe of every horrible thing about myself and how weak I was and worthless for losing it and gaining it back yet again. And the things that I said to myself as I was physically hurting my body, 
as I was pushing this over 300 pound body with the the resistance all the way up and the incline all the way up and feeling the pain, the physical pain wasn't enough. I'm saying to myself, you deserve this. You deserve every bit of pain. There's not enough pain. You need more pain. You're worthless and awful. Cursing myself for a weakling. I had a miracle happen to me that day in that I heard a voice that told me to stop, that I was forgiven. I was still caught up in my disease, though, so like Bill, even then I wasn't done. Um, but the cruelty, the self-cruelty, the pain that we, that I put myself through physically and mentally is just, of course, of course we sway in front of poison and open windows. It's just torture. And um, I am so grateful that I don't have to live that way anymore. I am so grateful for this program that gives us this um, rule for living, these rules for living, and this community and this connection to a loving God who told me to stop hurting myself and start loving myself and other people. Um, Thank you so much. With that, I pass. Thank you, Amy B. Johan N., it's your turn, followed by Nessa R. Good morning, Johan. Hi, my name is Johan N. I'm calling from Falun in Sweden, uh, sunny Sweden today. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for the service and uh, the shares I've been listening to so far. It's amazing to be, to be in this meeting. Uh, it's always amazing to be here. And uh, this is a great paragraph. Uh, it really shows me the suffering uh, and uh, the insanity and the progressiveness of this illness, and how it's just uh, how it's just progress and and do, does it really fast. Uh, the last the last years before I became abstinent, I. Before I got that, I, uh, uh, the, the illness really progressed uh, intensively in me. And uh, I was doing anything and everything in my power to try and control and enjoy. And the more I tried to control this thing, uh, the worse it got. Uh, and uh, it says people feared for my sanity, so did I. And uh, that was exactly how it was. My 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 wife really thought that I was insane, like I was going through everything at home. We couldn't have anything with sugar or flour in it at home. Not anything with carbs in it at home. Uh, I just went through everything. Uh, and then then trying trying to to keep this weight that I. Uh, that I have gained through through being in a hospital for a long time. I have I have lost my excess weight. Uh, so I was I was really insane when I when I came to OA. Um, and I was insane for a few months while I was in OA as well. But uh, luckily, the food showed me once again that uh, I am powerless over this. And uh, I fully committed to this program. I worked the steps really fast, uh, and uh, I got the spiritual experience. Uh, 
and the obsession was lifted from me like a miracle it was i couldn't believe it uh, and today i get to live one day at a time as a recovered uh, compulsive overeater uh, recovered not cured one day at a time and it's just so amazing i really i have gotten my life back uh, or even better i've gotten a new life that this is fantastic to to live uh, every day so i'm so grateful for this meeting i'm so grateful for this program for the steps for my vision sponsor for the sponsees that i the the guys that i i get to uh, guide through this program uh, and it's just a blessing and uh, i'm so in love with this program and and uh, it's uh, it's amazing so so grateful today and with that i pass thank you so much thank you johan and and nessa r it's your turn followed by sharon please go ahead nessa Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nesta R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So um, to me, the, the, the opening sentence of this paragraph, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine endured this agony for two more years, um, is seemingly contradictory to what we read yesterday. The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. So if they're unforgettable, why am I still enduring this? Uh, it makes no sense. And, um, you know, I endure this for um, almost 46 years, nine of which were inside the rooms of OA. So, so, so if, if, the, um, if, the, if the horror, um, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness is unforgettable, why don't I remember it? Uh, and the answer for me is that I always remember it after I binge, you know, and all the the remorse, horror, and, and, uh, and hopelessness of the previous binges throughout my whole life come rushing into my memory. But I never remember them before I binge, you know? Uh, and I guess maybe this is why the, the mind is a, is, a, is a wonderful mechanism, kind of like not remembering the pain of, 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 of childbirth, uh, which, you know, drives us to, to have more children, um, you know? Um, every time I said I woke up the, the next morning with this, this remorse for and hopelessness, I, I would sing the national anthem of addiction. I swear I'll never do that again until the next time. And what would happen? I would go on a diet. My, I would lose some weight. My clothes would start to feel better. Um, and that, um, that remorse for and hopelessness would, would dissipate. And so I was victim of the next binge. That's why I never remember them until after I binged. And, you know, what got me to the point where I did remember it before um, I binged was when I got to a place, like the jumping of point, where the pain of being in the food was so much greater than the pain of not being in the food. The discomfort of overeating was so much greater than the discomfort of of abstinence that I just couldn't do this anymore. You know, like putting that, that final bite of, of cheesecake in my mouth with tears in my, in my eyes and saying, I cannot keep doing this anymore. And the pain level was just so high that it made an, an impression in my brain. It was unforgettable even the next time 
that I came across something that I wanted to eat. I just said, I just cannot, I cannot do it. And what happened after that was, um, you know, um, a person in whom the problem was false, had been solved became my sponsor. I became entirely abstinent. Uh, now we got some hiccups uh, in the process, worked the steps, and came out the other side where I am now um, safe Time and protected. Um, thank you. I'm not only not eating compulsively anymore, but I don't even want to eat compulsively. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. And next, it's maybe Sharon or Cheryl or Shannon, any of those people? Hi. Can I be heard? Sure. Who is it? Hi, it's Cheryl. Uh, this is Cheryl. Hi. A. Good morning, Cheryl. Please go Good ahead. morning. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Uh, this is Cheryl A., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Brookline, Massachusetts, and this is one of the most important paragraphs in the entire book. Just two pages before, um, I'm reminding myself that Bill said the papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. Two pages later, he's got two references to suicide. Two references. He says, I swayed dizzily before an open window. And what did he do? He t- puts his mattress down lest he leap. He's getting ready. He might burst through the window, sash and all, because his physical and mental torture is so bad. He makes reference to the fact that there's poison. There's med- there's poison. There's there's uh, medication in the cabinet that he could just potentially over overuse. He's cursing himself a weakling, and yet two pages before it disgusted him even contemplating that. It makes reference to geographic cure. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife sought escape. The amazing thing about this, it is describing the last few months of his bottom. He is getting there. He is hitting bottom. And yet what we're going to find in another two pages is that he's going to go out and do it again. Two more years. Like to think about the torture, the torture that he inflicted on his body, the torture that I put myself through when I am not absolutely certain that this disease will kill me in every manifestation of it. And there's... So, um, <laughs> my God, my child's got to wait a couple minutes. Um, so, um, I have to connect. I have to connect with the fact that I will die of one way or the other, that this is a progressive illness, a progressive illness that will not stop. I have to face the truth. This paragraph is the truth. And this one reference to I stole from my wife's slender purse. It just hits you right in the heart. The word slender, you can hear the pain that he is doing this thing he doesn't want to do, but he can't stop. His wife is busting herself to work, to, to support them. And here he is stealing from his wife's slender purse. You can feel the shame 
in, in this. And I have to identify, and that is the purpose of this story for me. I have to identify, and I have to see this is me. I will go to the worst bottom that I can't even imagine today if I don't work these 12 steps. And what a beautiful opportunity to work an incredible program that brings me to this fourth dimension that truly is something I could not have imagined 32 years ago when I began all this. Um, Today, I don't want to hit those bottoms again. Before I end, I just want to wish anyone who is celebrating Rosh Hashanah and the Jewish New Year a happy, healthy, prosperous, safe, and joyful New Year, not only to those celebrating, but to everyone. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Cheryl A. And Larry Kay, it's your turn. Please go ahead, Larry. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for your your steady um, service, as always. You know, um, we all know how this ends for Bill. Kind of happily ever after, you know. Nine out of ten addicts don't live happily ever after. More than that. 9.9% you know, of addicts do not live happily ever after. They die in this disease. They suffer in this disease. It does say the mind and, and the body are marvelous mechanisms. You know, there could be a strong case made that perhaps the, the, the most complex and ingenious thing in the universe is the human mind, mind and body. You know, and our, our bodies uh, are, are composed of, comp- uh, you know, complex organs. We have our eyes and we have our kidneys and our heart and all those wonderful things. In fact, scientists often compare, when we look at the brain, the number of cells and synapses in our brains to the number of stars in the universe. You know, it's really extraordinary. And I don't know about you, but for me, the human mind and body are powerful evidence, at least for me today powerful evidence of the miraculous divine um, you know imagination of my divine creator yet here we see bill shackled to the devastating progressiveness of this disease and it's snowballing you know it's he's going downhill here pretty quickly he's handcuffed to the struggle he's stealing he's trying to outrun his addiction he's self-medicating he's suicidal he's barely functioning it's going to get worse 1930s 2020s what's the difference it's going to get a heck of a lot worse before it gets better in bill's case and as i say most people it it does not get better we're going to see that bill will eventually change his core assumptions right and he's going to subject himself to a painstaking process of action these actions are going to adjust everything that follows from those core erroneous assumptions See, and for me, like Bill, proving, you know, wrong, that's, that's horrible. No, no one's fine with having to think things over from scratch because it's a blow to my pride. And we'll see that it, it, it's, it's, it was a blow to, to Bill's pride as well. He's going to hate what he has become. There's someone on the line right now that hates what they've become. But I came to learn what Bill did, and that is it's impossible to like yourself full of self and false pride. There's so much more than, an, you know, more to an addiction than just the substance. See, the disease is fraught with a lot of self, right? Self-anger, self-devaluation, self-righteousness. And eventually, here's one of the major barriers to a relationship with the higher power, self-contempt. 
he's playing defense right now. But the great uh, swindle of the defense mechanisms is that they don't make us feel safer. They make us more defensive. And the more defensive we get, the more hardened, hardened we become to the notion of a spiritual surrender. There's someone on the line that's hardened to an, uh, a spiritual surrender. It's hijacking your life. But more Thank to come you. in Bill's story. Thank you, Lynn. More to come in Bill's story. So we'll, we'll, stay, we'll stay tuned. Thanks. With that, I pass. Thanks, Larry Kay. For those of us who might have come on the line a little bit later this morning, we're continuing our study of Bill's story on page six, the second paragraph, the mind and body. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your share to every third day so that others may share their experience too. So if you shared yesterday or the day before, please step back and let others have their turn. And please say your name just once. It does help me hear everybody. Who would like to share? Delphine B. I heard Naomi B. And was it Carol B.? Delphine B. I'm sorry, I'm not catching your first name. Whose everlasting initial is B? Dashin. Dashin? Dashin, like a dolphin. Like a dolphin. Okay, Dashin B. So I've got Naomi B and Dashin B. Who else? Rasa O. Carmela D. Dana P. Patricia C. Okay, I've got a lineup now, thank you, and I just did miss somebody. I've got Naomi B, Dashin B, Vasa O, Carmela G, Patricia C, and I missed somebody in there. Dana P. Dana P, great. Okay, thank you, everybody. Naomi B, it's your turn, followed by Dashin B. Please go ahead, Naomi. Press star one to unmute, Naomi. That's better. Good morning, family. This is Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader outside Philadelphia. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for they endured this agony for two more years. Well, mine was like two, three, four, five decades, not just just years. But what resonates with me was how I went as far as having the bariatric surgery, the lap band. And, um, yeah, it was good. It was it was good when it worked for about a minute or two. You know, it did restrict my food consumption. And then going over to the doctor at one point, and he couldn't find – he couldn't find the port, which is where he injects the fluid that inflates the lap band around the top of the stomach. And he had to cut me open, cut me open right in the office. No anesthesia or anything like that. He just cut me open, adjust the port, and threw a couple stitches in. And three days later, I had a red ring. But I had to rush to the emergency room, yes, and be on antibiotics, high-powered antibiotics, all in name of trying to get some kind of sanity in this insane brain. But I did, you know, and it worked for a minute, and I did, I did lose 70 pounds of it. 
but I found 35. And thankfully, I was screwed because no one would help me. And I couldn't go back to that doctor because he insulted me when I only gained four pounds. Forget 35. And God sent an Ebby into my home and told me about OA. And my life was transformed. And I wasn't young. I mean, you know, do the math. I'm 73 years young now. And I've been abstinent for nine years. So it's like it was decades, on and off, on and off. Um, the, 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 the pills in the 60s, oh, my gosh, the black beauties, smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. And that lasts for a minute. Yeah, I got down to a normal weight for a minute and off the pills and off I went again. So it like, it's just amazing. But having this program has transformed me. I mean, the fattest part of my body was really between my ears, and that was reduced. But what increased was my dependence on the 12 steps, the shelf, the fellowship, and God who has guided me every day ever since. And I turned to God and not to the food. And all kinds of crap happened in my life since I've been abstinent. And it was always God, never the food. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi B. Dashen B., it's your turn, followed by Vasa O. Good morning, Dashen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Delphine. I'm a compulsive overeater from Paris, France. Ah, first, I wanted to share my gratitude to all of you because I've been in the program for 20 months now. I've been abstinent. Uh, I had abstinence during something like 18, 19 months, and I relapsed. And by some miracle, I, I found a vision for you, and uh, I've been working the program with Big Book for two weeks, and within these two weeks, I, I think I've learned and understood and got insights much more than uh, the whole previous month, and I really now have a strong faith that I can recover, not be cured, but can recover, and it's such a relief. Um, back to the reading, um, I heard uh, in these rooms that um, this chapter is about identifying to be a story. Do I feel things the same? Um, and, and, and I used to say, for instance, that I never stole anything because I never stole money. But actually the truth, uh, when I heard this sentence, sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. I used to steal food from my kids, from my daughters. And, and, and when um, the youngest one, I remember she came back home, she was coming back home and she was telling me, Mom, where are my cookies for? I don't know how you call that in English. I, uh, I don't remember, but for, 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 for me back from school and, and I was so ashamed. And, and, uh, and, uh, at the end, every evening I did some dinner, uh, cooked some dinner and I told them to go in their rooms in front of, uh, 
their computers and and I ate alone um, in the kitchen because I want to be I wanted to be quiet and to to eat all I wanted to eat and it's it's also stealing something from them stealing a, a happy family moment and uh, now I realize that and at the end before coming to the room I remember also uh, the last summer uh, I was in severe depression and I escaped hospital just because my partner is a, a psychic nurse so my doctor uh, thought he could take care of me um, but this summer yeah I'll just finish on that my, my daughter was so happy having a party with friends and my only idea was, she's happy, I'm not, I want to die. And I almost committed suicide. And to come from that and be there with you is just a miracle. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Delphina B. And Vasa O, it's your turn, followed by Carmela G. Good morning, Vasa. Please press star one to unmute, Vasa. Sorry about that. I was talking muted. Thank you for your service, Lynn. I'm Vasa, grateful recovered compulsive overeater and everybody's service this morning. And uh, yes, I had hit bottom by the time I came to my first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm so grateful. A woman brought me into the program, one of my friends, that she was an alcoholic and also a food addict. So um, she was the one who introduced me, and uh, she was the one who gave me the big book, and she was the one that um, uh, we read. She told me to read the uh, uh, doctor's opinion. I was shocked. I really was shocked to find out about my disease, about the obsession of the mind and the physical allergy for me was the sugar, white flour, you know, those were sugars, but I had no clue. I had no clue, she said to me, they're poison and uh, it's going to kill us. The more I put in my body and the more I want more, and that was the truth. Nobody had to tell me that. I, I could diagnose myself. I didn't want to die. I was so ready and willing, and it's not like I didn't try before I came to <clears throat> excuse me to my first meeting. I did everything else that everybody else are sharing or did, and I did everything except I didn't have the lap the bypass done. I didn't go to a hypnotist, and there was another thing I was just too ashamed, too embarrassed to to admit you know to go places like that. But, you know, and then I hear people, even with all that, they still went back to the food. So, but anyways, um, it's such a gift. I couldn't, under, I couldn't relate with the alcoholic at the beginning, but I could uh, relate with the obsession of the mind and the, and the allergy. And the more I was reading, the more I got into the steps, the more I understood and I'm just so, so grateful. You know, I struggled with the food for 25 years of my life, and it was just killing me. It was progressive. There was nothing more I could really try. 
and I gave in. I don't know how many, how long before I came to OA. Could have been a month, two months, or even a year. It was getting progressive. I, it was just going to kill me. And I was just so willing and I was so ready to surrender to the 12 steps, to my program, to a power greater than myself. I did not care who I surrendered. I just needed to be saved from this horrible food addiction. I'll wrap it up. And I have stole food before. And, um, and I'm again, thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Oh, Carmela G., it's your turn, followed by Dana, please. Please go ahead, Carmela. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you for your service, and thank you for everyone who has shared and who is listening on the line. My name is Carmela G., and I'm a grateful compulsive overeater recovered in New York. The mind. My whole... I needed the food to calm my body, but my whole insanity is what kept me in such a state, that ego, that I could control, that I could do it. And I was a woman of faith, but yet I still thought I could overcome. And like Bill... The I, I, I's got me. Six decades I lived for the food, and all it did was get worse. I needed more and more and more to a point where I was willing to give my life just to satisfy the need of the food. And thank God... I was able to meet someone who said to me, you have an allergy of your body and an obsession of the mind. I had heard about OA. I went to a meeting, a face-to-face meeting here in Manhattan, but I couldn't identify with these people. Their, Their stories just were not mine. I couldn't relate. I didn't identify. I was comparing. I said, no, I'm not like them. I'm different. That was also part of my ego. And the worst part was what would happen is my mind would go to crazy places. People that I loved, I would say, they don't love me. My insane thinking. I'd wake up in the middle of the night stressing over something. Today, that I have totally surrendered to the power greater than myself and I trust and I rely solely on this power, not my own ego, not my strength that I thought I could win over food. I wrote that in one of my journals. I will not let this food beat me. I will beat it. Beat me into submission, and I was a great slave to that food. But today, through the power of these steps and my higher power, my relationship with God, I walk a free woman, and I have one day, one day at a time, not the seven years that I put my abstinence, but one day 
and that is today, and I must work it and live it to the best of my ability. Maximum service. I'm pleased. Thank you so much, Lynn, to God and to my fellows. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carmela G. Dana P., it's your turn, followed by Patricia C. Please go ahead, Dana. Good morning, Lynn. Dana P., here in California. Um, Yeah, Lynn's my middle name. (laughs) Thank you so much for your service. This chapter, oh, my goodness. Um, I have heard it said on the line this morning, I am so grateful that I know the end of the story because he is just suffering so much. And, you know, back again, back again. I did that for 41 years, um, going back to the food and the crazy things I did with food. So, you know, this part in the beginning here, he says the mind and the body are marvelous tools. There's a powerful, positive word right there, Um, tools. I said tools, but that's not what it says here. Uh, But that word marvelous, it's one of those things that gives me hope, you know, to the end of the story. And what I recognize is that word that I said, you know, there's no God in any of this paragraph. This is his agony. This is his hell. Um, And he's being um, possessed by his mind Um, and what I know of my body 41 years of compulsively overeating and binging 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 and purging um, that I you know I damaged my body and when I think about you know the all the dental work and heartburn and what's gone on with my esophagus and I realized like wow wow God's grace and the power of the body to heal, um, you know, I, I, I'm surprised I'm not dead. And I've had people tell me that, and I'm in medicine. So I know what can happen from, you know, that stretching out the stomach so far and then forcefully uh, vomiting against all of that pressure. Um, but what I, re- what I realize is that the mind and the body are gifts from God. They're tools just tools. Um, And I spend so much time uh, using my brain to obsess about what to do with food, how to do it, stealing from my wife's small slender purse. You know, I mean, I stole so many times money, food, um, got to do a lot of amends around that. Um, And the body, you know, just beating my body up over the years. And what I realize now is that Rather than fighting, you know, I'm a soldier. Rather than fighting and pushing through, pushing through, tomorrow's another day. I'm going to keep doing this today because, you know, this is what I have to do to survive this behavior, to keep myself what I thought was sane, to calm my mind, to calm my nerves, whatever, you know, I I felt like I needed to be able to sleep. Um, and what I realize is that, you know, the tool of the mind, the body, it's a gift from God. And so thank you so much. I, you know, I, I reached to God, you know, help me to use the tools provided uh, to do your bidding, God. So I will pass. Thank you, Dana P. And Patricia C., I'm sorry. We've come to the close of our meeting. Hopefully you can uh, hold on and share at the second meeting. 
So thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you to Team Friday. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share ID for this morning's meeting, Friday, September the 18th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 15384. We will now close our meeting with a reading from a Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. And Melissa C., would you read that for us, please? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.